Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new series on the Prague Report uh, podcast. We've decided to put together something called uh, Prague A to Z. And uh, what we're going to do each episode is pick a letter, talk about a few different things that start with that letter that are important or uh, notable in many ways. So, uh, you know, for example, we might get to the letter M and talk about the Mellotron and things of that ilk, uh, different artists, different albums. Um, you know, it's not meant to be a, the definitive uh, list. There will probably be many things we leave out uh, or forget about or overlook, but uh, we would just want to try and have a little fun and use it as a way to talk about some things, some artists, some albums um, uh, that we don't normally get to talk about because we're always talking about what's new, what's come out now, you know, things like that. So uh, with that said, let me introduce my colleague on this series, Jeff Bailey. Hello, and for any of you who speak English, it's A to Z. Um, <laughs> right. So just to, just in case you're wondering what Roy's talking about. Yeah, uh, exactly. yeah no, good to be here. And uh, yeah, it'll be fun to talk about um, stuff. Yeah, who knows what we have. We, we've, we've both picked a few things in advance without really going into too much detail so we can chat around um, the different the different things that each of us bring up. Yeah, you know, we've been doing the podcast now for a while and we've interviewed basically everybody. <laughs> so, everybody. Uh, but we do have a lot of fun uh, doing this and uh, it's always interesting to try and come up with different ways to talk about some different things. And, um, you know, I think this is a, a, a fun idea and would be interesting to see what we come up with. And certainly I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, like, like we talked about, uh, Jeff and I, what would be X and Z? Um, yeah. I, I'm not really sure yet. <laughs> so we'll have to be creative when we get to those. Um, but, uh, you know, what we're going to start with um, is uh, the letter A for today. Um, I'm not yet sure if we're going to do in alphabetical order as we move forward. We haven't really gotten that far. Mm. This is going to evolve. Mm. Uh, but we do want to kick this off with the letter A and, and see... Um, yeah, where it goes. Yeah. So, Jeff, I'll let you kick this off and, um, you know, get us going. Okay. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, I think I think one of the one of the rules that we do, we don't have too many rules around this, but one of the rules is we'll if we're talking about people, we'll go by surname. Yeah. Unless they only have one name, like if we decide to talk about Sting. Um, well, hopefully right. not. But um, <laughs> um, so I'm going to start with. Um, it seems a great place to start john anderson um and why i think it's why is it good to talk about him well i suppose john anderson is someone who has been um involved in progressive rock music arguably from from the very start um someone who is a founder of and and synonymous with one of the biggest bands in the genre one of the most influential bands in the genre one of the longest lasting bands in the genre which is still going today um, please don't comment if you don't agree with that <laughs> uh, yes fans we know we know um but what's really interesting about john anderson and probably which makes him to me stand out from the genre apart from longevity is that actually whilst he can play instruments he's he's not a particularly technical musician um, so obviously a lot of a lot of prog revolves around the technicality um, and, and what what John Anderson I think brought to the band was ideas, concepts, formats and structures which he sort of expressed in a mm. in a quite rudimentary way which then got picked up by the Steve Howes, the Rick Wakemans, the Chris Squires and you know, got transformed into you know the the incredible yes catalog. Um, I did a quick tally, um, which I think is right. Nineteen yes albums, fifteen solo albums that cover a whole range of genres from Irish music to classical to instrumental. Um, he made four um, very commercially successful albums with Vangelis. He did. Anderson Bruford Wakeman High, he did Anderson Wakeman, he did Anderson Ponty, he did Anderson Stolt. Um, he's made guest appearances, and again, you know, some of the names he's made guest appearances with King Crimson um on the Islands album, Mike Goldfield. He he's did some soundtrack work with John Paul Jones. He appeared on Stop Loving You with Toto. Um, album with Kitaro, he's sung on Glass Hammer albums, um, 
you know he spans really throughout the genre and is kind of the thread that runs through and of course he's still active today still performing live today and probably one of the first artists out there on the road post lockdown despite the fact that he's 77 years old um and i think the other thing about him is is his voice again fairly um fairly unique um certainly in terms of the genre um that kind of alto tenor very very um high notes but not falsetto um and again i think that's something that probably has influenced a lot of bands along the way and i don't know i mean maybe it's too much of a stretch but i think probably the high-pitched vocals are, are are something that that meant that when it comes to the world of metal and prog com- combining um you know you know the jeff tates of this world with that kind of higher register um stuff you know that that's kind of adjacent to to i suppose the, the concept of having a, a a vocalist that sings right at the top of their range um so yeah, John John Anderson um, would be my my first choice. What's your what's your what's your what are your John Anderson highlights, Roy? I have some amazing John Anderson stories, some. actually. Believe it or not, uh, nope. one you know I, I've talked a lot about the podcast. If you've heard, you know that my introduction was very much eighties, you know nine hundred one two five and and that whole mm-hmm. period of yes, and you know re- I didn't really realized at that time being young and listening to uh stuff like leave it and changes where trevor rabin was very much up front singing i had no idea john anderson was the lead singer of yes really okay and that historical kind of important icon as as the vocalist i only learned that going back to you know earlier records um mm-hmm. and and his voice is so uh so unique and uh uh, no one else has been able to to come close to sounding like it really. I mean, John Davison does a nice job of fitting his vocals to the Yes songs that he does sing, but anybody mm-hmm. can tell the difference in two seconds. It's not like it's really close. Um, I think it's more a stylistic thing that he does to make himself sound like it. But, um, yeah. you know, one of the most unique voices in, in music ever. And what I've learned, in, and I had a chance to to sort of work with him on a couple of occasions uh, in recent years and and then see him in concert and get to talk to him a little bit. And what I learned is that he's every bit as much that kind of musical genius and influential to what Yes was as much yeah. as Chris Squire or Steve Howe or, any, or anybody else. And I think maybe he doesn't get, doesn't get that credit. You know, I mm-hmm. think a lot of people thought, oh, he just writes those silly lyrics and, and is the voice. And yeah. that is part of what he does. But when you listen to him talk and you hear how he explains those songs and his involvement with them, and then later watching him perform with uh, the uh, ARW shows, he's very yeah. much a, uh, a uh, what do you call it? Like the guy that... Conductor. Does, like yeah, he's very yeah. much conductor. the conductor yeah. Yeah. on stage. He knows every drum fill. He knows every lick that everyone's doing. He's yeah. He's you know, raising his arm to this guy to play this at this point and controlling tempo. And I felt, and I was just like watching that and I'd never been in awe of that performance by him before and watching Mm -hmm. that. And I went, Oh my God, he is like, he is locked in to what is happening. You know, I thought that was fascinating. Um, But I have a funny story. I don't think I've ever told this story. So this is years and years ago. Uh, maybe 2010-ish, something like that. I don't know exactly. But um, uh, so if you've listened to the podcast, a lot of people have asked me, what's that opening guitar song that we play mm-hmm. in the beginning of the uh, a lot of the top five episodes and stuff like that? It's this guitar-heavy kind of metal guitar thing. And it's a song called Art Crime by a band called Mindwalk Boulevard. They're not around anymore. They never made it or did anything, but it was a band that I discovered um, – online through different means and it was they were a bunch of young kids they were teenager age 16 17 18 years old it was a trio total virtuosos guitar player could hold up he's as good as anyone you've seen play i am telling you just a guitar genius jordan ferreira genius i don't know what he's doing now i don't i don't even know that he does that music that much but yeah but he's amazing anyway uh, they 
won a contest to record with John Anderson at, at around yeah. the time when I discovered them. And, the, you know, their their uh, family that was managing at the time had told me about that and, and the whole thing. And I guess something happened where it, it never really took hold. There was the contest didn't happen. They didn't get a chance to do it. I don't know. Anyway, I had heard about all of that. And then one day out of the blue, I'm not even making this up. I get a phone call and it's John Anderson. Right. I had no idea he was calling me. <laughs> I had no idea anything was going on. But he answers the phone and it's the high pitched voice. He's like, hi, is this Roy? This is John Anderson of Yes. And I'm like, that was really out of nowhere. <laughs> and he was calling me about the kids and telling me that he thinks they should do this and how to, you know, what they need to work okay. on. Because they very much sounded like like a King's X. They had three-part harmonies all the, all the way through. That was uh -huh. kind of what they were going for. Really cool kind of short progressive kind of rock stuff. Really yeah. neat. And um, yeah, so I had this whole conversation with John Anderson before even ever getting oh. to meet him or do anything like that. Completely out of the blue about this band. Um mm -hmm. Sadly enough, as happens, you know, they grew a little older, they went different ways, yeah. they lost interest, they never became a band. And, um, you know, that happens, you know, all the time. But well, um, many years later, I got to work with him a little bit when he was doing the Anderson Stoll thing. So that was kind of cool. But um, uh, yeah, so uh, listen, what can you say? He's a top, he's top 10 most important figure in the genre ever. I don't know how you. Yeah. I don't know where the list is, but I don't think anybody would argue yeah. with that sort of random <laughs> number. Um, yeah, but that's a great place to start. Cool. So, so what's your first choice then? Uh, so, I, I'm sort of cheating a little bit. I have I have a, a a double kind of use of the A for for artists, which I'll start with, um, and it's also kind of timely. So, uh, we don't talk about this this group or artist or however you want to call it, it that much on the website, although we should, it's one of the biggest names uh, in Prague or at least Prague metal, which is Arian. That's also the group that is basically based on Arian Lucasen, who is the sort of other name, other a, although we did say surname, but in this case it, it sort of works. It's um, uh, so basically Arian, the band is Arian Lucasen's, project he is the person behind it he writes all the music and he created it and basically used it as, as a way to um he was trying to launch a solo career it wasn't working he created this the first Arion album sort of under that concept that became successful and he decided to just adopt that as what he would do and through that because he likes working with people different musicians and, and mm -hmm. creating these crazy concept albums um, uh, through the 10 albums that Arion that that project has done has had, I mean, hundreds of different guests over the course of, of the 10 records. And the concepts are all basically double records and they're crazy long and they're sci-fi based and just extravagant. I mean, it is taking the, the indulgence of Prague and ramping it up to a hundred you know, the music, yeah. I mean, is incredible. And, uh, and he's a brilliant songwriter. Now he himself um, writes everything, uh, you know, arranges everything, plays most of the instruments. Um, but he does not like to perform live. He has mm. like severe uh, stage fright and uh, does not like to perform live. So for the long, larger part of the career that he's had with Arian, which has been his most successful project, uh, never played uh, live until a few years ago uh, when they did a thing called the... Uh, Aryan Universe, I think was it was. It the Aryan Universe? I think it was just called Aryan Universe, yeah. Yeah, so they did a series of shows uh, called the Aryan Universe and uh, invited a bunch of guests, and he did that for a few, uh, few shows. And so there's been a few shows like that kind of thrown in between in recent years. Um, the timely nature of it really is that... Uh, He's taken a break from the Arian project and and returned to a different thing called Star One, which is just if you've been paying attention to uh, you know Prog Magazine or Prog Report Online or, or you know Iron Socials, um, they just released the first single from that. It's um, you know the third record and it's coming out uh, next year in February. 
So uh, a lot of fans are excited about that. What he does with the Star One Records, it's um, instead of incorporating all the different kind of instrumentation and a few different styles and, and things that Arian does, Star One is basically even more straightforward metal. Um, uh, and again, it's the guests are uh, ridiculous. So, uh, and what he's doing now, which is really cool, if you go to his Facebook page, he plays these uh, contests every day where he plays a clip for a few seconds and then fans have to guess who that guest is. Uh, the guest guitarist, the guest uh, vocalist, you know, of course, James Labrie is notable for being on on uh, some of his records. The Human Equation being the, the biggest one. Uh, yeah. Annika Van Giersbergen has been on some things. Uh, Russell, uh, uh, sorry, Damien Wilson, uh, Russell Allen, um, you know, all these different guys have been on uh, on things. So Fish. Yeah. Fish as well. I, I mean, Steve I. I everybody's yeah. everybody's played on his records i mean literally yeah. everybody uh so uh and uh just an amazing uh, uh good guy a brilliant genius musician um it's a lot of music to take in you know if you're not into the the kind of prog metal symphonic metal that you know that's kind of symphony x style things like that um it's a lot of music it, you know hour and a half records that are just non-stop go 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 um, but it's definitely to be appreciated for it, for the scope he takes on and uh, um, and for the quality of the music, uh, you know, that being your taste or not. I mean, you, you can't argue with the, the guests and the talent and the, the, the quality of musicianship. It's just really incredible stuff. So um, and a lot of people swear by it. It is their absolute favorite music as well. So, yeah, yeah. you know, that would be that. Well, I, I have. I mean, he, he's not someone whose music I'm deeply familiar with. I first, uh, when Neil Neil Moore singing on the first Man on Earth, which I think was a um, Dream Universal Migrator, the first one of those, the Dream Sequencer. Uh, Neil, I did. Yeah, I forgot Neil was also. <laughs> I mean, really. That was the first. That was the first time that I'd he heard of it, and that's that's a great. Um, that's a great track. I have a couple of friends who are very into him, and they've been to the um you know they've traveled from here over to the to the shows and certainly those seems to those seem to be absolute extravaganzas with the set and with all the all the guests appearing and yeah i mean i was just flicking flicking through and going you know the list of guitarists you know steve hackett paul gilbert joe satriani guthrie govan michael romeo as I now know he's called, um, you know, it's, it's like, as you say, who, who, who isn't on there, you know, John Wetton, Keith Emerson, Derek Sherini and yeah, it's everybody, Wakeman, it's everybody, you know, it's absolutely, it's absolutely crazy. everybody. And yeah. I, I mean, it must be brilliant for anybody just to be able to put albums together and uh, do all that. And the other, the other thing that I, that I, um, cause I remember listening to Transitus, which was his last, the last album, um, and it's kind of it's an interesting kind of horror story type thing. Really. Well, he wanted that was um, one that he wanted to actually make into a movie, and COVID sort yeah. of put the kibosh on that, and he ended up just just making the record, and and then never did never did the movie. But that was the plan. But but my attraction to that was the uh, the actor who was Doctor Who in my childhood, Tom Baker, does the narration on that. So yeah. that was a that was a there's the the narration on that is is really is really fun as well. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I would say that if if you were always sort of wanting to get into it, I think the human equation seems to be the one most people flock to. And I, I certainly would agree. I think that's a pretty high watermark for him. Um, also, Into the Electric Castle is considered a pretty uh, yeah, a yeah. favorite one among among some fans. So I think that's the one that my friend went to see in Tilbury, which is that the one that Fish sings a couple of songs on it? The, he's the Highlander because Fish came out. I've seen video of Fish coming out on all the... Uh, kind of scottish yeah. here yeah so cool. uh yeah so that's cool so we knocked those two out all right so uh, where are you going next okay um so i'm gonna do, do a slightly um tangential one but it is it, it is i think appropriate to mention um i'm gonna go for a this is like sesame street brought to you by the letter a <laughs> right. um a is for artwork um, so let me explain what I mean by that. I think um, if you look at the genre as a whole, um, there probably isn't any other genre 
um, where artwork and packaging are are so closely linked and aligned to the whole experience. Um, and you know, to run through a list, you know, I think I think probably what's as well unique is that there are a there's a roster of sort of the great progressive rock album art people. Um, you know, Roger Dean having done Yes, Asia, Uriah Heep, Gentle Giant, Hugh Syme in Rush and Dream Theater. And you know, this thing of, you know, people look at an album cover and they know it's a Yes album because it's Roger Dean, you know. Um, uh, Hypnosis then, the, who did the Pink Floyd albums, they did Peter Gabriel albums, they did Caravan, they did The Nice. Um, I have to give a shout out to Thomas Erhard, um, you know, who has done a lot of the Inside Out album covers and Neil Morse, Neil Morse band, um, a whole ton of ton of those bands. Mm -hmm. um, Paul Whitehead, who did the Genesis, the early Genesis albums, um, and then did some of the art on Similitude of a Dream for Neil Morse band. Um, Phil Travers did a run of Moody Blues albums that are quite sort of distinctive. Um, you know, and then you've got kind of the the, the, the iconic one-offs, like in the Court of the Crimson King, um, you know, which a very iconic album cover and arguably, you know, part of the whole experience of of that album. Um, and it doesn't even say the band's name on it. And you know, another one, just you know, Brain Salad Surgery by ELP. So you've got the HR Geiger stuff, you know, the which which you know probably more more recognized these days as the kind of the world of alien and those movies um and i think you know part of it is to do with the era that that the cover art was part of the experience um but you know certainly if you think of other genres you know there's actually you know very few um other genres where that's something that that is a thing that it's really important um you know in most music and you know if you even look at something like you know a very very famous album like dark side of the moon right you know but you know there's people who don't ever listen to pink floyd who will walk around with a t-shirt with the dark side of the moon cover on it because yep. it's it's an iconic image um so i think that's i think that's uh a, a really important thing to throw in when we're talking about prog and and what that has led to today Again, if you look at, at some of the recent releases, um, you know, having the art book, having the box set, you know, if you think of the Transatlantic Absolute Universe release, you know, the Liquid Tension 3, you know, those are coming out on huge box set packages, the Stephen Wilson albums, you know, look at any other genre, people aren't putting out, you know, that kind of stuff in any other genre, but it's something that's just really important. Um, that goes with this type of music. I think uh, it, it that whole kind of attention to artwork and that detail has been something that has sort of saved, you know, uh, physical music in recent yeah, years, especially yeah. in in this genre. You're right. I mean, it would only work because it is married to the idea of what this music is, which is, you know, the the whole being absorbed into that the kind of world of of what the music is, the album, listening to the whole experience, you know, you can't take one song out of the absolute universe. It doesn't mean anything if you do that that way. And yeah. that's for a lot of these albums. So you can add the artwork and the box set and people want to buy it because it makes it cool. And, you know, I've recently got back into vinyl myself because of that, because yeah. having the CD, while I still will, will buy an occasional CD, the joy of sort of, opening that up has kind of faded you know yeah but with a record yeah. it seems a lot more cool these days to have yeah. that so i get it you know it took me a while to come back to it but i get it <laughs> but there's that there's that layer of that, that's part of it and there's also that if you think of the the um the recent dream theater album of you from the top of the world you know and there's the little images on the cover that relate to the song titles and it's kind of it's not just oh that's a nice picture it's the you know oh what does it mean all right this is for this yeah, song yeah. and this is from this song you know there's more there's more to it than just nice pictures um and and i think there's there's a bit of fun and certainly that's you know people are people it's it's synonymous with what with what this music is about um, so yeah. yeah i think i think that's an important one There's a few other uh artists i was thinking about um 
uh, Travis Smith, who does a lot of the Opeth covers, and Devin mm. Townsend. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, a bunch of these guys, Anathema. You know, um, so he's big in, in, in sort of that side, those kind of relatable bands. Um, Carl Glover, who did a yep. lot of Marillion and and some of the, the Similitude uh, uh, album for Neil and, and a bunch of yep. major things. Um, uh, Hyo Mueller, who did uh, some stuff with Stephen Wilson. He did the, the Raven, you know, concept yep. for that album. So there's yep. a bunch of guys that are doing just kind of really cool exceptional stuff even today and actually uh, I, I can't believe i forgot it from my list but um mark wilkinson who who did the fish era marillion stuff and then right through to to, to fish's solo stuff and in fact the um the weltschmerz album came in a deluxe edition which had a pile of artwork in it and the very i think it's the very last page of it is a is a is a picture that relates back to the very first Marillion single cover that he did. So Welshmurts being Fish's last album, the final image and the final in the sequence relates to the very first single and all this kind of nerdy stuff. And uh, there's, um, I'm totally lost the name, but I'm trying to see because the book's sitting over beside me. The guy who did a lot of the porcupine tree stuff, which Lasse, is... Lasse, Lasse Holly. Lasse, Holly, forget. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's so, like. I mean, his whole concept is everything, right? It's it's yeah. it's from the cover to the videos to the photos that that you put on social media, the the whole thing. It's he's so uh, you know you get submerged in the, submerged in that whole the whole world that he does, and he's amazing. Um, you know, not not using this as a plug at all for for the book that I did with with the but. modern albums, but <laughs> but part of the reason for the layout and and the whole concept behind it was to feature these album covers you know the way they are and to make sure that is um because certainly an easier way to do the book would have been to just write about the records and make it a paperback with no pictures but that was really important to me that we celebrate the albums with the covers as well and and who did all the artwork is in there and you know all that kind of stuff so yeah, and is that why? Is that why it's? That's why it's square, presumably that's as well. So you get to see it bigger so it than CD sense. size. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Available from progreport.com. Uh, well, we have a, we have it up as an ebook now. Um, okay. There's a few. Have you sold out of the physical? Mostly, uh, I think I still have a, a box sort of stashed away that I may or may not put up for keep your keep random, your grandchildren random sale when i feel like it but i wanted to keep some handy um but it is available as an ebook with you know with full color and all that stuff uh, as well um all right that was good yeah um all right so i'm going to move on we're going to jump a little bit more modern and maybe not the most definitive thing but i think it's something that fits what we do and and worthy worthy of covering which is um, I want to pick an album that I thought might work for the letter A, and one that sort of immediately came to mind was Affinity uh, from Haken, mm-hmm. which um, is uh, only a few years old, and uh, their uh, fourth album, the one that followed the Epic uh, Mountain release, which was their breakthrough. And really, if you think about it, Affinity was very bold uh in terms of a of a musical choice of uh you know what they want to do next because they start off very kind of progressive metal with the first two records um sort of you know mirroring their style off of dream theater a little bit and those kind of bands and then with the mountain they brought in a lot of 70s traditional prog influence Cockroach King, you know, has kind of that gentle giant vibe and, you know, things like that. And then with Affinity, they could have just continued along the same path, but they really didn't. Uh, You know, they changed. It's still progressive and it's still technical and and all of that and certainly sounds like them, but their choices of sounds, concepts, uh, um, uh, the choices of, of... the the topics uh that they're writing about is all very different and it is very much influenced from an 80s sound um, which i think for a lot of people the track 1985 really is sort of the standout of that record because it is unlike anything a band like that has done 
and um, you know, bringing in things that you might hear on a Rocky Three soundtrack or something, and throwing it right into the middle of this progressive metal, you yep. know, uh, toward the forest type track, and 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 then there's there's the straightforward kind of metal epic with the architect and um, a really some great sort of pop things like uh, Earthrise and and uh, um, Endless Knot. I mean, it's a it's a really cool collection of songs that have a completely different approach and i think that with that album they sort of solidify their place as one of the bands to to really keep an eye on now we know them now a few years later they've done two more records since then and have really elevated their their yeah. presence you know they did vector and then virus and uh but i think affinity is a, a really important record in their in their catalog because it um proved they weren't just a one hit a one-trick pony, rather, um, yeah. trying to sound like their their forefathers. But I think they really kind of carved their own path with that album. Yeah, absolutely. Now, any, anyone who listens knows I'm not necessarily the prog metal guy um, in the podcast, but but I think this was the the first Hagen album that I really properly connected with. And you alluded to it earlier on, but certainly 1985 and Earthrise and Endless Knot were the tracks that kind of I, I connected with more um, more closely. Um, interesting link to the last topic. Um, did did you know that the the six birds on the album cover of Affinity are the same six birds from the album cover of The Mountain? Yes, thank um, you for pointing that out. I forgot to bring that up, but yes, that's a good tie-in. Yeah, And uh, they 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 relate to i think each one re representing a member of the band um but yeah i mean i think i think it's good and actually there's something i'm going to be talking about later on where, where um well it's not a concept album you know per se it has certainly a lot of central themes um that exist within it around um you know technology and mana machine and artificial intelligence and all that kind of stuff which is really cool i also think probably listening to that album was the first time that i would have heard um einar solberg yes from who Lepris, on he sings the, architect. On the architect um and i suppose they probably at least i don't think i'd really come across them very much or or more that i kind of had them boxed off you know, but I think probably their career has 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 changed since since those days quite significantly in terms of what they're doing musically and and um, yeah, um, so that it's it's a it's it's probably my favorite Hagen album actually. I think for a lot of people, it's one that surprisingly stands up uh, yeah. more than maybe they thought it might. Um, yeah, you know, and I could see that down the line years from now being being one of the top records uh from the from the group yeah and probably the you know it's the incorporation of the 1980s stuff into it is something that i don't think i can't really think of very many people who have done that before and so it's really fun for those of us who who, who grew up in that era to kind of hear some of those callbacks and some of those sounds and stuff well not in a way that is done within this genre that's the thing i yeah. mean yeah um well Ross Jennings has a solo album coming out called Shadow My Future Self. And maybe you've seen some singles online and, and stuff. And certainly he's mm. brought in some of the, the 80s influence on some of the singles. But it, don't, it tends to work in that kind of field. If you're doing a four-minute pop song, maybe you put in some electric drums or synthesizers or something. You can say, well, it's sort of an 80s influence track. But you don't hear it that often in the middle, of, in the sort of guise of a 12-minute <laughs> epic metal song so i think it was yeah. a really cool way they did it yeah and it's, you know it's it's different i mean if you think of um what's their name dirty loops you know mm -hmm. when they've they kind of do that in and it, to me it's always a bit of a sort of slightly tongue-in-cheek slightly nostalgic slightly you know we know it's cheesy but hey we all enjoy it type type way whereas yeah. that that's not really how you know that's not really how he can bring it in it it's still serious technical music but it's also got that kind of that throwback which yeah appeals appeals to lots of people so excellent. all right you're you're a third topic okay well this this could be the um 
I was going to say the antithesis of, of of affinity. Certainly, it's it's not a it's it's definitely doesn't have any uh, elements of the eighties around it because it's very much a seventies album. And um, I, I I didn't pick Ian Anderson as an A, having picked John Anderson, but um, I did pick Aqualung um, as as an album that begins with A. Um, probably in the history of of Jethro Tull I mean they were a they were a successful band up to this point which was their fourth album but it was probably the one that kind of um put them on, on a fast track to a different level in terms of becoming an arena act in terms of getting on the FM radio and really kind of starting the tra- trajectory um you know that that, that continued right the way throughout the 70s putting them as one of the leading bands um it's it's an album that combines sort of the riff heavy elements that that were a part of sort of their from their origination as a blues band um and you know we, we know the classic aqualung and um locomotive breath in particular um very distinctive um um, um well-known prog songs but it also for the first time brought in those little um shorter musical interludes that appear between some of the tracks um and again that kind of capoed acoustic guitar very much became uh, a signature part of of the jethro tull sound from then on um I, i talked about when we were talking about affinity and the themes, I mean, Aqualung isn't a concept album, but you have the first song, Aqualung, followed by Cross-Eyed Mary, which refers back to Aqualung, and Aqualung itself refers back to what's potentially Cross-Eyed Mary and her schoolgirl friends. Um, let's say no more than that. It's kind of a very, it's very sort of quite, dark in its subject matter um, in terms of some of the areas that it covers and then on the second side of the album there there are three tracks um, which I suppose relate to um, Ian Anderson and I think probably I would describe it as the his his view on um, organized religion um, and uh, yeah um, so um, my god him 43 and wind up um, very much sort of drawing from his experience as a, a as an English person growing up with the with the influence of the church and kind of questioning that. Um, and um, again, we talked about covers earlier on. Uh, you know, a very very distinctive um, cover. I think Ian Anderson always uh, resented the fact that. Uh, so it was taken. It was actually based on a photograph taken by his wife, his then wife. Um, and then someone painted it, but they made it look a little bit too much like him. So everybody assumed that it was him on the cover, which was which was never the intention. Um, but again, a very uh, you know definitive and distinctive cover. I mean, it, and I it, think it's prob- one of the most iconic images of the whole decade. It, yeah. you know, it really is. And um, I think the other thing is, you know, if you look at actually the chart performance of this album, you know it it was number four in the uk um, it was number seven in the billboard chart you know it was a very 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 successful album and we kind of think of prog as being a bit a bit niche nine a bit kind of um you know specialist but actually you know that was top 10 album material um back in 1971 72 71 71 um yeah and you know locomotive breath Again, a very, very distinctive song. I was looking that it, it's been covered by um, Styx, Wasp, Halloween, and Rabbit, Trevor Raven's South African band. Um, so I'm sure I know our, our friend Prognick will, will, will know all about that. Um, yeah, so Aqualung, certainly one of the classic albums and a brilliant uh, remix by Stephen Wilson. Um, 50th anniversary this year. Indeed, well, Stephen album I think remixed it in uh, twenty eleven, and then they put it out in twenty sixteen for as 
well and no doubt it'll come out as a 50th anniversary version again so keeps on so, keeps on doing and keeps on taking our money i would argue even if you know that song could be on this list by itself i mean just yeah. that riff alone is is iconic and one that people have no idea what prog is know that guitar riff i mean it's classic rock radio yeah. you know staple uh well we should point out of course that uh there is a new jethro toll album on the way as well called the zealot gene mm-hmm. uh comes out january 28th uh there's a song out called soshana sleeping which is out now on youtube and spotify and all that um ian anderson is a you yeah. know lone remaining member uh, but the guys in the on the album and playing with him have been touring with him for years uh, and have been around for a while so yeah. um you know if you hear the track we, we it sounds we've talked about this before uh, on a recent podcast but it sounds very much like you would expect jethro Tull to sound like so something to keep an eye out for uh, you can check out a song now and uh and the album out in january um so yeah. Uh, moving on to our last choice, uh, I'm going to pick a song for mine, and uh, again, sort of fitting because of the timeliness of it um, in a few ways. Um, uh, Afterglow by Genesis is going to be mm. my A choice for song, and um, it celebrates, well, it's from the album Wind and Withering, which uh, celebrates its 45th anniversary this year, and it is one of the few songs uh, that both touring uh, outfits uh, are playing right now. You have the the Steve Hackett band um, playing Seconds Out uh, cover to cover on their tour, and of course it's uh, it's on that album. So they're they're performing that, and then Genesis with uh, Phil Collins, Tony Banks, and Mike Rutherford are uh, as we're talking today here in the U.S. Um, uh, beginning their North American run, which is exciting. And uh, so that is the song that they play as well. And I, I, I mean, it might be, is it the only full, full track? No, they, I guess they do I Know What I Like. They both play mm-hmm. I Know What I Like and, and they yeah. both play bits of Fourth of Fifth and Cinema Show, but you'll get the full versions yeah. of those in the Hackett one. Um, oh, Carpet Crawlers would be the other one, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. A, there are a couple of very few uh, matches, but Afterglow being one. And... For me personally, just another reason I could pick this one is Afterglow is just one of my all-time favorite songs ever, never mind, just from Genesis. Yeah. I just think it's, since I was young, it's just been a song that I've loved dearly, and I just think it's so unique. Um, something I found out today, which uh, in reading, trying to do a little bit of research for this, like what can I find out about Afterglow that I, that might be notable that I that I don't know, and maybe you read this. Jeff, but uh, there's a book out um, called uh, Genesis uh, 75 to 2021 that just came out, mm-hmm. uh, the Phil Collins years, mm-hmm. and it's by uh, Mario Giametti, and uh, a really just really cool book. I highly recommend it. He, they did a Peter Gabriel years version, and now this one with the Phil Collins years just came out, and it does cover Ray Wilson in there as well, um, but... Um, uh, so they go album by album and they talk about each track and how the albums were made and what, you know, and then even as much as showing the tours and where they played on each tour and what the set lists were. So it's really very, very detailed. As, it's detailed a thing as I've ever read. But um, uh, on the topic of, of that song, especially Afterglow, Tony, it's a Tony Banks song that he wrote and he, he mentions that. And I may ruin this for everybody. I, I When I read this, I was like, man, this is ruining I the song for me. I think I know what you're going to say. But he he comments about how af- right after he wrote it which he wrote it very quickly he went oh my god i've just written have yourself a very a very merry christmas merry little christmas, <laughs> merry little christmas. <laughs> and i was like oh my yeah. god he did <laughs> it was very funny but he decided that it was different enough the rest of the way that he could keep the song which obviously it is and i don't think yeah. there was any argument really there but but it is really like i had never heard that yeah. i never never thought of it and i wonder how many people uh did or did not so you've how many people you've just i've just ruined ruined the song for for you yeah (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but um you know there's some cool parts there you know the way they uh the ahs that are going on 
was very kind of the early days of tracking. So it's layered vocals by Phil Collins yeah. um, that they did in a unique way. Obviously, limited tracks you could use and a lot of bouncing and some of these studio tricks you had to do to do that kind of stuff. Um, really nice, uh, simple guitar work by Steve Hackett, um, who I who also in reading, you know, decided against putting a tar- guitar solo on it, um, mm. which, you know, I don't think it needs it um, because it it follows right after in that quiet earth and a bunch of, you know, crazy, yeah, yeah. you know, instrumental stuff that, that is great. I went to everything. It's just an amazing record, which just covers so many different styles and, um, finds the band really kind of branching out a little bit more and more. And a song like afterglow, you wouldn't have heard, uh, on an earlier record. I don't think it's yeah, sort of yeah. very pretty simple and, and, uh, that kind of thing. And obviously, and you know, you, you may even think something written by Phil Collins, but you know Tony Banks wrote that one. So, yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm, and I should point out I'm going to see Genesis in a few days, and I'm super excited. Yeah. Um, I, I really can't wait. So I'm looking forward to hearing that song. Well, definitely a shout out for both of those books. The first one as well, um, from Kingmaker, the the publishing arm related to Big Big Train. Yep. Um, Afterglow. Just a couple of things on that. Um, number one, the bass pedals, just absolutely amazing. I'm sure if we get to uh, T for Taurus bass pedals, we'll we'll uh, we'll cover yeah. cover that. Um, again, what other what other genre uses that? Um, the first time I would have heard it would have been again on my, the first Genesis album, which I got, which was Three Sides Live, and it's at the in that. Uh, uh, medley that sort of starts within the cage and then ends ends up on that uh, absolutely amazing live version on, on there. The other really interesting version, and I'm sure if you 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 search on YouTube, you will find this if you don't already have it. About well, I think it must have been the mid two thousands. They 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 put a, a DVD out called the Genesis Songbook where they talked about songwriting. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I haven't, but um. But I mean, this was in the period when the band pretty much wasn't wasn't active as Genesis. But they made this DVD and they talked about all this stuff. And Mike and Tony and Phil went to the farm, which is the recording studio that they owned. And Phil Collins and um, Tony Banks do like an acoustic version of Afterglow, where he kind of just you know plays it on one keyboard and Phil sings it, and it's just absolutely brilliant ever. Version, you know stripped of the overdubs um you just show it's actually an amazing song and the other the other great um way to listen to it is on the um those box sets that they put out which have the the 5.1 uh mixes where every everything that's going on well when i'm listening to that i've got the bass pedals coming through the subwoofer and all the surround stuff going on with the multi-track vocals it's a really cool way to listen to it and of course uh it's on seconds out as well is it no maybe it's not seconds out. it is actually. on seconds oh, out. It is. yeah but, it is but on it's not on, as yeah. a medley it's by yeah, itself yeah. yeah it's a it's it's after it's at the yeah the end of the first side um so yeah another you know, another cool version one of the cool uh, obviously you could say um uh, supper's ready is you know that's genesis if you want to you know listen to that but yeah, yeah sort of for me i think you could genesis for me would be just as perfect if it was you know in the cage to this cinema show instrumental to afterglow that right there is as yeah. perfect a combin a, a collection of what genesis is that i could listen to forever that's that 20 minutes right there is the greatest that's that's yeah. amazing and i think it's back to and again i've said this before but i mean i bought you know, I bought Three Sides Live because I liked Turn It On Again, uh, Misunderstanding, <laughs> you know, when there was no Greatest <laughs> Hits album. So, uh, so, uh, so I bought that and, you know, you've got kind of Abacab and stuff like that inside one and Follow You, Follow Me. And then you go to the second, or I think it was a cassette actually. So it was side B of the cassette, which started with Misunderstanding and then In the Cage started and it was like, what on earth is this? Yeah. Um, and, and, and so the slip, yeah. An 11 year old me uh, started down a slippery slope. And, and here we are talking about Prague um, f- uh, 
my word, 40 years later. There we go. I tell you, man, I was list- I, I I remember listening to the records for Wind and Withering and Trick of the Tail and, and that period, particularly when I was like 10 and 12 years old. And just it it's so when you're that young and that gets brushed into your face and, and that's what you're exposed to, it makes it hard to then later on listen to shittier music as you get older. <laughs> you know, because because most kids don't get into music. I got into music really four years old. I was listening to you know Kiss and Super Tramp. I, it, it was <laughs> a, just a different person, different kind of weird person. But you know, um, most kids get into music at thirteen to fifteen. So, you know, that's when you start to really yeah, give, yeah. give a crap, and and you're listening to whatever's popular, and that's the general way. You know, but when you're introduced to this earlier, then later on what's on the radio is what's on the radio and you're like it, it just doesn't measure up it can't it can't measure up indeed and uh yeah we're the product of of all that kind of stuff yeah anyway uh well we hope you enjoyed the first episode this was fun actually it's a, it's just good. a great opportunity for us to just talk we enjoyed <laughs> it <laughs> well, uh, hopefully other uh, for, hopefully other people we just uh, that's why this exists well, to let us talk about this stuff. yeah listen let us know if if uh if you hear it if uh you know what we missed about a's or if you have a yeah what are you what are your three what what what, what glaring ideas, emissions uh for can see letters. the facebook facebook comments of how could you possibly not have mentioned anathema yeah, this, this, this you know, we did thing. mention them actually we did um anyway uh yeah again just always keep in mind uh, parkbart.com for everything and follow us on facebook twitter instagram uh youtube for uh special podcast episodes and and make sure you're subscribing to uh, our podcast so, to get updates and stuff and um, we will see you soon. And uh, keep in mind, uh, the Prog Report Award nominations are uh, coming out uh, it, by the time you hear this or around that time. And, um, you know, make sure you vote, vote, vote. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you all uh, soon. Bye-bye. And this podcast was brought to you by the letter A. <laughs>